Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 821 with Sanjeev Razdan. Guest experience, right? And that's paramount. Everything is about taking care of the guest and just making sure that when they leave your restaurant uh, that they're happy and they'll come back. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Now, I know you know about Plate IQ, but do you know about Plate IQ's new spend management feature? Okay, let me tell you about it. Plate IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Play IQ card. With Play IQ card, there's no credit check, no minimum bank balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card issued easily. And I've got to tell you that with Plate IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. And you cannot forget that Plate IQ still offers bill pay, incredible insights, and custom approval workflows. To learn more, head to plateiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you can save 25% off implementation. Restaurant owners know it can be almost impossible to keep everything up to date, even making adjustments on your menu. And I know it's probably one of the most important marketing tools out there, if not the most important marketing tool. That's why I'm so happy to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. Pop Menu seriously is the full digital solution for independent restaurant owners. When you invest in Pop Menu, you get a dynamic interactive menu that hooks your customers from the start. And let me tell you, they really do love that review feature. You get a mobile-friendly website, and I cannot stress to you enough how many people miss the importance of a solid website. And you also get marketing and integrations to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. What are you waiting for? As you can see, Pop Menu gives restaurateurs all the tools they need to put the focus back on what matters the most, the people, and the food. Trust me, if you are a restaurant owner, you need to check out Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, my listeners get $100 off their first month plus an unchanging lifetime rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant unstoppable, Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. 
What's going on, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, but a quick reminder that this podcast does need your support. You can support our sponsors, you can support our affiliates, and you can share this podcast with everybody and anyone you know aspiring to be great in the industry. And then lastly, come hang out in the network. That really supports the show, and it's where I spend most of my time uh, as far as social media goes. And and it's really just this great community of restaurant owners coming together to share knowledge knowledge to support one another and to learn together. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, come join us. We'd love to have you today. We're talking to San Jeev Rosden. This is my last interview at the Texas Restaurant Association Marketplace. Uh, special thanks again to them inviting me to come record, giving me my own stage, helping me connect with some amazing people. Uh, just so grateful for that relationship. Thank you guys so much. Actually, there's going to be one more recording that I did with the Hunt Brothers and Andrew Smith about private equity. I've chose to push that to mid-September because we're going to be doing a lot of conversations around business planning. And uh, I think it just kind of fit in it fit in better alignment with the content that's rolling out. So I, I pushed that for mid September and this is the last deep dive interview I did while I was in Texas that you're listening today, Sanjeev Rosden. And man, I have to say that I wouldn't have interviewed somebody like Sanjeev back when I started this podcast because I was hyper focused on independent restaurant operators. And my mission, and it's still my mission today was to transform the industry by bringing people together, by sharing knowledge in helping people realize that we can go much further together. I've realized that if I'm really going to execute this mission to transform the industry, I need to, I need to be a little bit more open-minded. I don't think that the people that are involved with some of these corporations are evil. I do have to admit that I, I still lean towards the independent smaller operators just because I feel like the world needs to be fragmented a little bit. We need to spread out the wealth. And I think that restaurants should be, almost on a more micro geographic level. I don't know. Don't, I don't need to get into that now, but what I'm trying to say is that I'm happy that I'm opening up my mind and uh, I'm talking to people who came up in different verticals, like the corporate scene. Cause that's Sanjeev's story. He came up working for uh, yum brands specifically. He was helping bring pizza hut to India and the majority of his career was with Pizza Hut. Uh, he left Pizza Hut to jo- join um, Applebee's, uh, which I think is technically Dine Brands Global. Uh, he was a senior vice president and chief operating officer for Applebee's. And then from there, he joined Sweet Greens as COO. And today he is working with the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. Um, doing really great things with them. And then in addition to that, he started this, this organization called Gleam and they're really aligned with what we're trying to do here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Gleam is all about bringing people together under this, this idea of mentorship specifically for underprivileged individuals. So I'm just really excited that we were able to connect with Sanjeev. You're going to love this episode. I'm telling you, it is packed. It is really packed with some incredible advice, specifically around leadership and mentorship and just, I don't know, being a better person. I I don't know. This is a great episode. You're going to enjoy it. Here it is. Uh, With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest. He's the president of the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, Sanjeev Razan. Are you feeling unstoppable today? I am feeling inspired, excited, (laughs) energized, and very, very unstoppable, Eric. Beautiful. I cannot wait to dive into your story. So we start every episode off with a success quote or a mantra 
Uh-huh. Is there one you can think of to get that motivational borrow? Absolutely. Uh, in the words of the great Maya Angelou, um, they will forget what you told them. They may not remember uh, what you did, but they will always remember how you made them feel. Yes. Why did you choose that quote? Do you know what? In this business, um, it's all about people and leadership. And I've, right from the word go, tried to be a student of leadership, get better and better at it. And I've realized that at the end of the day, leadership is about the way you make people feel. Yes. If you give a damn and people know you do, then they will care to follow uh, and be influenced by you. And that's why this quote really uh, focuses the mind on that what is most important. Yeah. And I have a past mentor uh, that I always give a nod to, uh, past professor David Mazur who said uh, a leader is a dealer of hope. And when you said that a leader makes people feel a certain way, I think it's hope, right? They give people yeah. hope and inspiration and something to work for towards, right? I love that. Great way to get this thing started. And you also, I pulled a quote from your website, uh, your Gleam website, uh-huh. and I think it's just beautiful, and I wanted to share it as well if you don't mind. Of course. Uh, when you learn, you teach. When you get, you give. Absolutely. Beautiful, man. We are so aligned in a lot of ways, and I'm really excited for this conversation. So where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Well, perhaps right at the very beginning. Um, I think I grew up in India uh, and went to school to study physics. I hated it. It turned into math. Yep. And so when I was on campus in college, these hotel companies were coming to interview uh, folks for management training programs. So I got interviewed by the Sheraton and joined them as a management trainee. And that's how my three-decade-long career began with food service. Okay. Uh, so you were at Sheraton. Uh, that's an incredible organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were the biggest lessons you learned? Were there mentors here that really influenced you? And like, just dive into that. Yeah, so at this, in the hotel business where I was, I started off in food and beverage. One of the biggest lessons I learned was uh, there were teams that knew infinitely more than I did. These people uh, had been doing stuff. They were highly skilled. This was a five-star hotel, lots of specialty restaurants, big banqueting. But people who were tremendously more skilled than I was, massively more experienced. And here I was, had been put in a management position to lead these teams. I think the first thing I learned, learned was in order to get respect... You have to roll up your sleeves and be willing to get some elbow elbow grease. Uh, Once people see that you're willing to put in the graft, do what you're expecting them to do, they're so much more likely to follow you, to respect you. And the other thing I I learned very quickly was uh, guest experience, right? And that's paramount. Everything is about taking care of the guest and just making sure when they leave your restaurant... Uh, that they're happy and they'll come back. Yeah, and uh, on that note of respect, nobody will respect you if you're not willing to do the things that you're expecting them to do, right? (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, I I had to wipe um, glasses and silverware for for a couple of weeks before they would even let me inside the restaurant. And I recall the maitre d' of the restaurant I used to work for like the first time he allowed me to take a customer's order or a guest order. 
it was a thrill because you had to know your menu inside out. You had to be able to um, suggest cocktails, know your wines, and then you earn the right to actually take an order. Yeah. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the Sheridan, when you went through, they this was like a... I don't know what the exact, but it was kind of like a learning experience yeah. for you, right? Like it was an education. Yeah. So they force you to go through all the roles. That is correct. Right? Why is that so important? They force you to go to all the roles because they want you to understand the interdependence of every role. But also, when you emerge as a leader and as a manager of teams, they want you to have deep appreciation for the work that needs to happen right in the cold phase. Yeah. Right. I think that's a lesson we can take and apply that to opening a restaurant. Uh, if you like, you should work every station, every role, and know how to do everything in your restaurant. What, because of that reason, so you understand and respect what it what it takes. But also, if somebody doesn't show up, you can't be dependent on that person. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's a really great <laughs> lessons there, and I love the guest experience note too. But um, we have so much to cover because you have a really extensive career. Uh, so five years with the Sheridan. Uh-huh. What, what made you leave? You know, I wanted to be the general manager of the hotel I was working at. Yeah. This was the uh, the Moria Hotel in New Delhi. And, and I'd look at these uh, general managers. They would come early in the morning. They wouldn't leave till late in the evening. They had broken um, uh, relationships. And it took forever to get to that role. I'm like, I don't have the time yeah. uh, to get to this, uh, this stage of, of, of the career. I, I can't invest as long. And so I started um, considering what else to do. Um, and and that's what led for for me the departure from the from the hotel business. Yeah, um, and it's funny you, made, you mentioned broken relationships, and I feel like this might be a little bit of a reach, but I've noticed that in interviewing all these people, these successful people that are at the top of the game, you look at them, and we aspire to be like a lot of these people. We think that they figured it out, but when you really pull back the layers on these people. Do we really want to aspire? Because you said the broken relationships, right? And to really be at the top, you got to sacrifice so much. And a lot of people who are at the top have a lot of mental health issues, mm-hmm. you know. Like, and it's and they're there because they're not healthy. They're not in a good place. Oh. And I think it's important that we communicate that because we're all aiming for it, and then we're in the same exact situation they are. For what reasons, right? I certainly, at one stage of my life and career, thought that, oh wow, if you were to sacrifice everything, right, uh, don't have have a personal life of any yeah. kind, live at your workplace, like that was a really cool thing, and that's somehow <laughs> what got you ahead in life. Yeah. And it took me a while to to realize that that's not what really made me happy. Yeah, you might be making more money, but are you enjoying the fruits of your labor? Exactly. Yeah, probably not. So okay, so you decided that you didn't want that path. That path didn't look good for you. So you mm-hmm. wanted to get creative. You wanted to find opportunity elsewhere. That's right. Where was the opportunity? The opportunity is we're talking the mid nineties, and the economy in India started opening up, and Pepsi Cola used to own a bunch of restaurant concepts. So they came knocking on my door, say, hey, we're, we're bringing KFC to India. Would you like to come work for us as part of the startup? And in those days, I used to go to work wearing a dinner jacket, five-star hotel, etc. So to go from that to uh, breading chicken, wearing a T-shirt and a baseball cap was just a bridge too far. <laughs> so I passed on KFC. But a few months later, they came back saying, oh, this time it's Pizza Hut. And by the way... Pizza Hut's a casual dining, sit-down restaurant. Uh, that's how we're going to bring it to India. So I thought, hmm, maybe this is something that I can, uh, can kind of make it to. Yeah. I'd never seen a Pizza Hut, so I had no idea what that's it was crazy. all about. Back in 95, Pizza yeah. Hut was a pretty uh, big deal, even today. Yeah. You know? uh, so I think, I think there's 
Yum Brands, there's a lot we can learn about Yum Brands. Uh-huh. It, or not Yum Brands, I'm sorry. Wait, yeah, Yum Brands. Wait, PepsiCo Yum Bra- is Yum Brands. I'm Eventually, sorry. it became Yum Brands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but PepsiCo, didn't that whole company start for... They, they opened restaurants strictly to get their their soft drinks in into the public, right? They, they were ve- These restaurants were vehicles for their beverage, which I think I don't know of any other company at this time that <laughs> thought like that. Yeah, and I, I don't know the exact story, Eric, but it is quite clear that um, the restaurant companies that they bought were amongst their biggest vehicles to sell their beverages. But it was also Pepsi-Cola realized that they didn't, they weren't the best at running these restaurants, which is why they spun them off. Okay. Uh, which which was great. And um, the lady who who actually is credited with the strategy is Indra Nui, who eventually went on to becoming the CEO of Pepsi-Cola. But anyway, that's how I got into uh, the business. And I joined the Pizza Hut uh, startup in India. And that led to a 20-year uh, romance and career with Yum Brands. So, I mean, this is... Un- I'm, I'm not as familiar with these paths as uh-huh. I am with uh, the smaller independent paths. Uh-huh. So... Reflecting on your career, what were the things you think you did right? Uh, would you do anything differently in the corporate path? Yeah. yeah. Like, reflect on that. It's a, there's a couple of things that I feel I did well, and I'll share with you which I think you know, I didn't do well. I think the first off in these corporate careers, you have to have some ambition, have a North Star, and have to have a point of view on where you'd like to go. And be fairly communicative about that. Let people know, hey, I am wanting to be blah. In my case, I always wanted to be a general manager of a business. And when I say general manager, I don't mean a restaurant general manager. I meant like a country manager. Um, And I made that known fairly early in my career that that was my aspiration. Uh, And so it helps people understand as their career plan uh, or they assess you whether or not you're ever going to make it. And I always said, hey, be honest with me. Will I ever make it to that role? And if you if you think I won't, then let me know because then that allows me to make other choices. And the third thing was, hey, if you think I'm going to make it, then help me understand what would you like me to demonstrate that would give you the confidence to hand me the keys of that business. So be very clear about what it would take to get there. I love this advice. And I think regardless of whether you are in the corporate vertical or the independent vertical, this is the same advice. Manifest destiny. Have a vision. Communicate your vision. It's not enough just to know what you want. You've got to put it into the universe. You've got to let people know. Because how can they help you get there if they don't know what you want? Right? Exactly. And I love this idea of asking the people who are your mentors, your leaders, to be honest with you. Give you critique me. Am I, am I on the right path? And I think there's a way we can do this as leaders without waiting for people to ask us. But when you see somebody who has what it takes, let them know. You can put them on a path that they would. We're not self-aware. We not. We don't know what we're good at until somebody tells us and recognizes what we're good at. That 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 reinforces our our purpose. What are your What are your thoughts as I'm sharing this? It's giving me goose flesh because it's reminding me of the time that somebody did that for me. Yes. And it's the most memorable, most fulfilling thing that one can do is to tap a young person on their shoulder, take them aside and have that conversation, which is not about the here and now, but about the potential you see in them that they don't see in themselves. Yes. To get them to believe, to push them, make them uncomfortable, get them to think about the possibilities and then Take a bet on that. Yeah. And young people, when the majority of the people we're working with are young people. 
your frontal lobe doesn't fully develop until your mid 20s. And that's where self awareness, emotional intelligence lives. So awareness is peak of emotional intelligence. People don't know. They just don't know. They're not self aware. You have to reinforce it. You have to let them know. It's so powerful. Um, so what else? So, <laughs> so here we are, and um, I, I, I joined um, uh, Pizza Hut. The business is is doing well, and then uh, Pepsi Cola decides to spin the spin the restaurant division off. Right, so growth plateaued, and I wanted to keep growing uh, in the company. So I said, look. Uh, the growth in my market has plateaued, but I am open to relocating and go anywhere in the world. I was young. I was hungry to grow. I wanted life adventure. And I put up my hand to say, give me an opportunity because plateauing is not an option. And so they opened up a role for me in Dallas. It was a global role. Uh, I'd just gotten married a little while ago. We, had, uh, two, uh, we have two daughters. They were two and four at the time. And that's how really my global career took off because we grabbed this opportunity to move from New Delhi to Dallas and in a phenomenal role, which really was all about supporting Pizza Hut businesses around the world help get operationally better. Yeah. So I read that your, your role was to revitalize casual dining. That's right. So how do you, how do, you do that? How do you go into a company and f- freshen it up? How do you inspire? What was your approach to doing that? First of all, you know, to, for anyone, um, certainly for, for me or for anyone for that matter to somehow assume that you know how to revitalize casual dining across the world <laughs> is, uh, is clearly just a very false assumption. So you do that with tremendous humility. And I think I landed up in this role, Eric, where people wouldn't answer my call, uh, senior executives who are running large parts of uh, the businesses around the world. So the first thing you do is be extremely humble and learn to listen, Right and say, help me understand what's going on in your business, get to the bottom of the dynamic, what's happening with consumers, what's happening with competitors. Um, And that's where I think any problem-solving starts is to understand and define exactly what the problem is. Uh, Seven habits of highly affected people. First, seek to understand, then seek to be understood. And you've got to get the data. And if you just listen, they'll tell you everything you need to know to, to, to... to, to get in there and start going. So what things specifically are you looking for? What are you listening to? So l- listening to, first of all, um, define in, in this instance, right? Uh, listen for what's being told, the obvious, right? So what's the data telling you? Uh, I was specifically looking, looking to understand what the consumer behavior uh, was in these markets, how that was shifting, what was going on. But also listen to that what is not being said, Right? probe into patterns that you're hearing in, in conversation like why aren't you saying this to me right for example we're talking about our competitors restaurants looking fabulous and the designs change etc but there's no mention of our own okay so let's talk about what's going on with our assets right are they up to date or not because no one's mentioning them so that's an example of what i mean by what is the unsaid but also i love probing very specifically about help me understand how may I help you? People already know oftentimes about what help they're seeking. Instead of peddling something that I have and sounding like a car salesman, it's very important to under- seek to understand exactly what are you struggling with? What is the nuance there? And how might then I bring something to the table that I may be able to offer 
uh, or a solution I can provide. So that was very important yeah. to build credibility. Yeah. Uh, you spent 20 years with, with this company. Yeah. Uh, and you must have grown probably the most as a person during this time, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. What, in, reflecting back, how did you grow? How did you transform as a professional, as a, as a, a man? Yeah, two or three things I'd say. Number one, um, Yum does a fantastic job of uh, creating systems for personal growth, right? The first step of that system is feedback. And they institutionalize this feedback. So I had in every informal conversation I was having, oftentimes getting tons of feedback. And there was a lot of formal feedback, 360-degree feedback, you know, surveys that were being filled up. And it was like being in a boxing ring. And you, you take a gut punch when people are saying what you can be better at, better at what you're not doing well. Uh, it was like somebody just peeled my skin off. But, you know, that's where I got energy and strength from. And then you say, I'm going to build myself back up and then build myself into a stronger, better version of myself. Yeah. So I think that was one, is to actively seek feedback. But, of course, Yum did a great job of it. The second thing is, even when one gets feedback, I discovered pretty quickly early in life that just because someone tells you you need to get better at X doesn't mean you know how to get better at X, whatever that might be. I'll give you a classic example, Eric. Oftentimes, people tell you, oh, you need to be more strategic. Like, how on earth am I supposed to be more strategic? What does that even mean? Yeah. Right? And that's when I think the whole notion of how am I going to... get better becomes important. That might come from a mentor. That might come from reading books. It might uh, uh, come from seeking external courses or education or putting yourself in certain roles where you get that kind of exposure. But that's super important. And in Yum, that's what I did. Really started seeking out the kinds of experiences or roles or mentors that would fulfill the gaps I had. And then... Practice, 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 right? Just execute against what my personal development goals were. Okay, I have, I'm taking notes, man. I'm loving what you're dropping on us right now. So if the big lesson I think I'm, I'm getting from you is when you first have systems in place for feedback, whether yes. that's uh, quarterly or bi- or annually or yes. once, twice a year, whatever that is. Right. What do you think that is? What, what is a good number? I think... For the person that you're working for directly, your supervisor, I think once every four to six weeks to have in conversation, say, how am I doing? What feedback do you have for me? Yeah. Right? Uh, is very important. Yeah. That's, that's number one. Secondly, at least once a quarter, if not more frequently, talk to people who work for you. Right? If, if you've got a structured feedback system, so be it. Those are usually once a year in most companies that have them but if you don't have them that's okay create the safe space for someone to tell you what you could be doing better and that's very hard because most people feel like there'll be some sort of um, implication on them if they give you feedback so create that safe space and and people who work for you need to tell you and help you get better so I, I, I typically grab lunch with someone that works for me or, you know, create like a social, socially different environment so they feel comfortable giving me feedback. But try and do that at least once a quarter. Yeah. And uh, what is the trick to making sure it happens once a quarter? Uh, schedule it. Yes. Uh, at least some, for someone like me who, who loves structure, 
Uh, it's just the answer is make time by scheduling it. Time block. Time and block. I, I, I'm right now. I'm, I'm, I'm reading, or I should say, listening to, and I have the book, but I'm a, I'm an audio listener. I, I process through mm-hmm. listening. Uh, Atomic Habits and habit stacking and time blocking for habits. And if this is something that's really important for you and your organization, there's a day of the week, a time during the week where that time is blocked to sit down and talk to a, a different employee every time. Make time for it and funnel people into that time. And that's the only way. And when you're talking to somebody at the end of that meeting, that feedback, schedule the next event before they leave. And I think those are the things you can do to make sure it happens. Anything I'm missing or any other advice? The other advice I would say is the same logic goes to making people feel valued, right? So one thing is feedback. And, and the other thing that makes one, or I certainly found myself getting a better leader was telling people what they're doing that is adding value. And again, it's easy to forget that, but I block time to recognize people. Like that's my time to write a handwritten note, drop an email, make a phone call, whether it's a bigger recognition, whatever that might be. But super important, as much as seeking feedback, is to let people know what a great job they're doing um, and be very specific about it. Yeah, and I, I love the advice you had. If you, tell, if you tell somebody they need to be better at something, don't just stop there. Tell them how to be better at it. Give them a book. Give them a resource. Give them, teach them something. Don't just be like, you're bad at this. <laughs> like, what, how's that going to help? And I'm curious because one of the big lessons I've learned, and I want to get your feedback on this, yeah. maybe get your advice on how we can do this really well. Mm-hmm. I've been told that you don't correct the person, you correct the process. Do you know what I mean by that? I know exactly what you mean by that. It's always about what is right, not who is right. Another way of saying the same thing. So it's not about the person, it's about what is being, what is missing the mark. Yeah. What is it that they're doing that might not be hitting where it needs to hit, right? And I think by depersonalizing anything and describing the behavior rather than attributing it to the person, it absolutely makes the situation so much more comfortable to talk about, to coach, and to help solve the problem rather than somehow leaving an employee or a person feeling like, I have a, you know, it's, yeah. the problem is me. And this is why numbers are so important, tracking is so important. So you, if it's, if it's, say if your numbers are off, right? Mm-hmm. You go and you say, hey, look, these numbers are off. Why are these numbers off? Yeah. Right? And then now this person's looking at the, the numbers with you and together you're, you're correcting to get the, what do we have to do to get the numbers back? It, or this is why standards are important too. Like, hey, like that's not the way, I don't know if that's right. Like, let's look at the operations manual and see if that, re, if that picture reflects what you just made or whatever it's what the best coaches do eric and i i you know even in this conversation i see you do this exceedingly well which is keep asking the right questions to, to, <laughs> to peel to peel the layers right and i think helping people find their own answers is the biggest gift that you can give as a leader i love that uh, anything we're missing on this idea of systems for personal growth so i think we talked about diagnosis which is, comes from structured feedback Right. Um, I think the, the, the second dimension of this that's super important is sticking to the plan. Right. And plans are not to be kept in your head. Once you've said, okay, now I've got the feedback. Someone's told me how to get from A to B. How am I going to solve whatever behavior or skill I'm trying to build? But now what? Like anything else like you have in business where you sit down and write an action plan, create a smart plan for yourself with timelines, with specificity, 
specificity so, <laughs> so you can go back and actually hold yourself accountable yeah. to say, am I performing against what I said I was going to do? I love that. Uh, I think the other thing we just got to gotta reinforce is find the mentors and, and go talk to people and learn. And that's exactly what we're here to do with Restaurant Unstoppable. So I can totally resonate with that piece of advice. Uh, so what else? Reflecting at your time, 20, 20 years is a lot to reflect on. We're talking about how you grew personally. And you said, you know, you, you yeah. learned about systems for personal growth. Uh, but what are the biggest lessons as far as business, uh, things that you think you're uniquely, uh, you know, outfitted to, to talk about? Yeah. What, my passion was uh, to be a business leader, uh, not a functional leader. Essentially, I wanted to essentially run like a general manager type role uh, in business. And I realized in order to do that, there were, there were a couple of things that I had to get better and better at. Um, so to do that, the first thing is you have to think through three different lenses. There's a consumer lens. There is a financial lens or a shareholder lens, and then there is an operating lens. So let me explain what I mean by that. I think every problem that you get confronted as a business leader, think of your, you know, a lot of your audience are entrepreneurs, uh, small business owners. If I was to apply that, my life lesson, it's like every time you're confronted with an issue, it has more, there's more than one way of seeing that problem. So see it through, first off, the consumer lens. Because if we don't have consumers, we don't have a business. So what is, how would a consumer think about this? How, would, how should one unlock consumer value in this situation? Uh, lens number one. Lens number two, how are we going to make money out of this? Uh, what is the shareholder lens associated with this? Uh, what is the investment we will have to make? What are the returns? What are we trading margins for? That kind of thing, right? And then third lens is the operating lens, what I call, how do we execute this? Any decision that I'm about to take, think about, okay, I'm running a restaurant and I have a choice of refreshing my menu. I might bring on this wonderful new menu uh, item that's really on trend, but what if it's so super complicated that it's going to suck up a lot of time, it's going to take more labor, and now it's going to upset my entire operating system because I just brought on something that I fell in love with, right? So it's striking that balance. There are no right or right, wrong answers, but being conscious that every decision should be seen through the lens of the consumer, the shareholder, and the operator. I think that discipline, uh, the more I practiced, the more I found myself becoming a more broadly commercial uh, leader. Um, I feel like I can summarize what you shared. I love what you shared, but I can summarize what you shared in two words. Get perspective. And I think all too often we only see the world through our own lens. And we don't... That's why they say when you go into a restaurant or you're opening a restaurant, sit in every seat in your restaurant and get this perspective of the, of the consumer. Sometimes there's this light that's glaring in your eye or there's an air conditioner that's blowing on you or there's a loud noise or your arm gets bumped by a server walking by. Like All these little things is an example of like we need to get as much perspective as possible. We need to see the big picture. Uh, and oftentimes, like, this is, like, perspective. Like Right now, yeah. I can't see you. Holy crap, my, my whole perspective just changed from that one little thing. And that's what happens when you, you get those, those different angles, right? What else? The second thing is that the... The more responsibility you get in business and the more people you get to lead, you have to have a, a very skilled way of communicating and framing strategy. So, in other words, setting and driving the agenda is a very critical business skill and a leadership skill. 
So what do I mean by that? People want to understand what a leader's vision is, where you want them to go, and why you want them to go there, right? In order to do that, people often often refer to that as strategy as well. Like, what's the strategy? Or what's the vision? Setting strategy or setting vision is a critical skill that needs to be developed. Yeah. I think Ari Weinswag does this really well. I don't know if you're familiar with Ari from Zingerman's. Uh, I'm not. So he has a, a series of books, a lapsed anarchist's approach to his first book was Building a Great Business. And he, he does a, an amazing job. If you guys want to learn more about mm-hmm. uh, the power of vision and how to vision and how to write a vision and the, the importance of sharing it, we actually did a whole workshop on that. If you guys are interested, uh, just go to Restaurant Stoppable, search Ari Weinswag, and you'll find it. And I, can, I cannot reinforce what you're saying enough. It's really powerful stuff. You're talking a lot about strategy. You're talking a, little, a lot about having a plan. Reflecting back at this time when you're growing with the young brands, what was your plan? What was your strategy? Yeah, for each business or, or role that I had, Eric, I, I had to set a strategy and I, I, and I always had a different, obviously, business strategy for, for the situation that I um, found myself in. But the important thing was to be able to articulate it in a crisp sentence, right? So I'll give you uh, an, an example. Uh, in, a, in, in one role that I was the president for Pizza Hut uh, in India, and the challenge was, that um, we, we were struggling at the, uh, at the time when I was walking into that business because a, a more dominant competitor in the pizza space there w- was Domino's. Uh, and they, they were kicking uh, butt at the time uh, when I was inheriting that role. And w- no one could really understand what was happening. Both the brands had started in the country at the same time. So the, as one peeled the onions, we peel the onion, uh, the layers of the onion, we discovered that we were selling smaller sized pies, more expensive than the competition, and when we delivered it to the consumer, we were less reliable. And so we had a value perception issue, and we had a reliability issue, and people didn't think of us when they thought home delivery. So I think framing what the problem is or defining reality is so important in shaping strategy. So I think for me, that was so super important. And then the strategy then from there on became uh, match on value and salience, but beat on quality, right? Uh, And so to be able to simply articulate... I don't know if I understand it. Match on value and beat on quality? Yeah. So match on value means... You can't be selling smaller size food portions more expensive than a competitor that you see as a competitor. Okay. So you have to match on value for money. And value for money will come from at least offering similar quality and quantity of food than what your competitor is offering, right? So that, that is what we meant by value. Because value uh, in, in the minds of a consumer is what you get for what you pay. Right? It's not a simple, am I charging the same prices as someone else? Gotcha. Right? So that's, that's where value becomes important because it may be the quality of cheese you're using or the packaging or the quality of meats that you put on your pizza, etc. Right? So the important thing was understanding what defined value and matching on value, not just on price. That's what I meant by value. Gotcha. Right? And then beating on quality became... Everyone's got some point. Everyone has to have a point of differentiation. Why should a consumer buy you or your product or your service? And in this instance, what we decided was the credibility for Pizza Hut was all around the food quality. 
right? And the quality was a function of taste. It was a function of freshness. It was a function of the kind of ingredients that were being used and the flavors uh, that were being introduced. So that was what we decided to leverage and exploit. And so the strategy became, let's match on value, but beat on um, quality. Got it. Uh, what about your plan for yourself? I mean, because this is a lot about the, per- the person yeah. behind the, the restaurant. Got it. So what was your plan for yourself? And, and that was, I love what you share with us. That was great. But I'm just, I just want, I I want new perspective, <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely. So my plan for myself was really, um, okay, so I wanted to get to being uh, this, this general management role, right? And at, vi- at different stages, I'd identified different issues that I was grappling with. So at one stage, since we're talking about strategy, uh, one of my plans was how am I going to get more strategic and how am I going to com- be able to communicate uh, my strategy in a much more effective way. And so I, I went to school and my mentor at the time was a, a gentleman called Jens Hoffman, uh, who was a Dutchman that I came across uh, at my time when I was working uh, in England, uh, in, in London. Uh, and he was the head of the Pizza Hut UK business. He had come out of McKinsey, so he was very good at uh, strategy session. And I saw him as a strategy ninja. And I said, you are going to be my guru. <laughs> You're going to teach me strategy. And so literally for me, it was saying, okay, I am going to go identify the books that I need to read on strategy. But more importantly, I want to see someone who understands how to set strategy in action. So I, I self-appointed myself as his apprentice. And I would insert myself in meetings, see him in action, and literally learn. Was that self? What'd you say? You self? Self-appointed. Self-appointed yourself. I love that. Sorry <laughs> to interrupt you. Yeah, I self-appointed myself as his uh, as his apprentice, as as he was setting leading strategy sessions, right? And just watch him and see what frameworks he was using. And I think for me, what I learned very quickly was frameworks are important. I didn't go to business school. I didn't, you know, so for me, I had to learn certain frameworks that I could then replicate to do set strategy. And so that's what I learned from him. But I also recognized that I was not communicating effectively um, my strategy or or my documentation. And there was this wonderful book I came across called The Pyramid Principle by Barbara Minto. Barbara Minto is somebody who um, came up with this framework of situation, complication, question. Uh, things that if you, if, if you go to McKinsey or one of these um, uh, consulting firms, it's how you're taught to think uh, and you're taught to communicate effectively. So that's the sort of source information that went out and seeked to become better at that. Can you get a little bit deeper into how to communicate strategy? I think you listed the, those yeah. things, but can you say that one more time and pull back some layers? So the, the framework for... Um, the pyramid principle. The, the pyramid principle is, is a very simple framework. It's called situation, complication, question. And so what this really means is whenever you're trying to communicate strategy, start with describing the situation. What is the context? or as you said, perspective. What is the context of the problem that you're trying to describe or the strategy that you're trying to frame? Uh, And explain that up front. Without context, people get lost of what are you talking about? So the context, for example, could be we have a, we're a $100 million or a $10 million business with three restaurants 
and we are doing exceedingly, exceedingly well on our dine-in sales but are struggling on off-premise. And our competitors are doing better than us on off-premise. So that could be the situation, for okay. example, to describe that. Complication comes next. Okay, so what is the specific, where is the rub? What is the complication? And the complication has to be described succinctly. And so the complication could be, we're doing exceedingly well on our dine-in business, but consumers don't think of us when they think off-premise because they feel like our food will not travel well. Okay. So that's the, that's the complication, complication yeah. right? And so now the question becomes, for the, for the strategy session, so our question is, how do we make sure that our food travels well in off-premise channels? Okay. And that starts the brainstorming. That starts the brainstorming. So now you just framed the, the whole situation, right, of what you're trying to solve for or that allows you then to explain that you may already have a strategy to do that, right? So now let me allow me to explain to you what our strategy is to solve for this problem, right? Now you've, so by communi- communicating in this way, it just gives your listeners a very specific journey, helps frame context, explain what the, prob- what the complication is, and what is the specific problem you're trying to solve for sanjeev that was awesome man thank you so much for this detail i'm really enjoying this conversation uh we are still in this 20 year period and we still have so much more to cover (laughs) but we're getting great advice is there anything that excuse me that hasn't come out of your story during this period that's worth bringing to the surface before we move on yes so one of the things that i learned from yum and in in, and is very very deeply personal to me and important to me is how do you proactively set culture. Um, Yum is an exceptional company at, um, at building great cultures and expects their leaders not just to live the values, but lead the values, which is a subtle but important nuance. So over a period of time, I realized that um, one of my gifts is working with people and building great enabling cultures. And as always, I try to break that down into a framework that I could teach others, right? So that it's, all, it's not just down to me uh, and uh, where I was working, but enable others and share a, a very simple framework. So I'm going to share that framework with you. And that framework is, the way I remember it, is I call it medium shirt. And this is the framework for how to lead the, uh, your values. How do you lead values? How do you lead and create culture? Okay, In other you. words, right? Uh, go start from the top. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's all right. How do, you, how do you drive or set culture in any organization, any team, right? And so the mnemonic is M shirt uh, or medium shirt as I try and remember it. I'll start with M. So M is, it stands for memories. Cultures are defined... Um, think of cultures for teams first off the context uh, as tribes I always think of uh, tribes and tribes uh, had their own cultures uh, right from the very beginning right one of the things in tribal culture is what memories are being created because those are the memories that will get stiction that will get talked about and they will reinforce that which is important history history exactly But creating memories in contemporary teams can come from something as simple as today we're going to have a crazy hat day and everybody wears some silly hat and we all have a laugh at ourselves, right? And you create some fun memories, go out as a team. Or it couldn't come from volunteering together at a soup kitchen 
or whatever it might be. But it has to result in some kind of a memorable experience. So shared memories are very, very important. When you walk into a culture or a team and they say, oh, you know, in the good old days, we used to do this. That's when you know that the culture is decaying. And when someone's telling you, we had such a great time and just last week we did this, you know it's a vibrant and thriving culture. So as a leader, first thing is create memories. Yeah. S is the second um, part of this framework, which stands for stories. Cultures are defined by active storytelling. So as a leader, what stories are you telling? Who are you telling these stories about? And what what is it reinforcing, right? And so that's become so important. That story has to, usually it resonates the most when it has a human component, where there is a personal story of a team member, for example, I remember, that used to travel, you know, uh, two hours a day trying to get to work uh, and go past three other uh, places of potential employment because she absolutely loved doing what she did at this particular restaurant, minimum wage worker, and... Uh, was just an exemplary uh, person that I worked with. Uh, and, and this was in, in one of our uh, Sweet Green locations in uh, Manhattan. And so, you know, what is that story? What is it telling? And what are you going to reinforce with that? What stories are being told is super important. So S is the second one. Love it. Oh, wait, real quick before we move on. Um, the reinforcing, what exactly, when I, when I heard you say that, my mind went immediately to, is it reinforcing? Is it reinforcing a current value, something that we stand for? Is that is that kind of what you're y- yes, getting at? Yes, it could be reinforcing a current value. A vision. Or a vision. Or say, like, let, let Mission, me, whatever. Whatever, right? So let's say you're trying to dial up uh, the focus in your organization around customer centricity. So if you start telling stories about people who are just doing an exemplary job of customer centricity or other organizations that you come across that did something exceptional or... Uh, a cashier at some quick service restaurant that you visited did something exceptional. That becomes a story. And when the leader tells that story, it's signaling to everybody on that team that this is important. Yeah. And it relates and it connects. So that's what I mean by reinforcing wh- it. whatever it is, right? What's the H? So the H, so the H is heroes. C- create heroes. And I mean this in a gender neutral way, right? Uh, who are you celebrating who are you recognizing? What are you recognizing them for? And how are you having fun doing that? Uh, what, for, for example, I give away, Eric, an award that I call the Action Hero Award. It's literally, um, I, I constructed myself. I go and buy uh, superhero toys and I mount them on a wooden pedestal and I put a handwritten note on it. And I tell stories about why this person being recognized and what attributes they share with this particular superhero. It's fun, it gets a laugh, but it's very memorable. Uh, we, at every place that I've worked, every role I've done, I've tried to figure out and build a culture where it's small, spontaneous recognition, but also the big public recognition that it's all thought through, that there's plenty of it, and that's so important about creating heroes. I love that. Right? So that's the H. R. Rituals. Culture is defined by rituals. Uh, Do we rit- skip over I? No, there is no I. Oh, okay. There is no I. <laughs> Just making sure. So there's oh, did I spell S- this wrong? <laughs> M-S-H-R-T. Got it. There Thank isn't you. an I. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So uh, the, the rituals are, uh, I'll, I'll give you another example. 
speed of service is so important in certain restaurant types, right? And so in the pizza business, one of the rituals that um, we created was I, as an above restaurant leader, when you walk into the store, uh, we would say, who can make the fastest meat feast pizza, right? Or who can make the fastest pepperoni lovers pizza? And so then you'd have three cooks on the, on, on the make line and then you literally take a timer and get them to prepare a pepperoni pizza yep. and see how many seconds. And then we'd you know, make, get a tally and then you'd have like this, who's, the, who's on top of the leaderboard. It was a fun ritual, but it reinforced a value that was super important, which was speed of service, right? So that's one example of a ritual. Uh, big examples could be, you know, people have general manager conferences in large organizations or get their team together. Small rituals, big ritual, doesn't matter. But rituals start defining cultures. Yes. Uh, and then that was the last one. Or is there a T? There is a, there is a T. <laughs> there is a T. And T is very important. Taboo. It's very important for cultures to define what is unacceptable and be very upfront with that. So, for example, for me, one of the things that uh, was absolutely unacceptable was failing a health inspection. Thou shalt always, always uh, meet basic standards of uh, hygiene and sanitation, right? And so everybody in my team knew you can screw up on a hundred different things, right? We all make mistakes, but you don't mess up on health and sanitation. Yeah. So it's, it's the unnegotiables. Non-negotiable. It's the thing. It's like in all culture, there's things you don't do. Yeah. We don't murder. We don't murder. <laughs> yeah. But you be overt about the non-negotiables. That's the difference. Yeah. Uh, I've loved this. And listening to you talk, I don't know if you're familiar with Mario Del Perro of Mendocino Farms. Uh, I know he's still out there in LA where you mm-hmm. spend a lot of your time or where he, he's no longer... I think he's just a board member now or something. But we talked about this when I had him on the show about the importance of uh, culture and, and like you're saying, like looking at literal cultures and all those cultures that we that exist up to this day have these things. And we are we are no different than that in our restaurant. We have a culture. And I the one thing that he mentioned that I think compounds off of what you shared really well mm-hmm. is uh, language. And every culture has its own language and they say certain things. And I think it's rituals. It ties into what you're saying with rituals. Like what they do there, uh, the first, when they open, the first customer that walks through the door, they, I think they say first customer, last customer, and everybody screams yeah. it. And it's to reinforce this mentality that that customer is just as important as the last customer. And everyone screams it. And like sometimes the customer is like, whoa, when like you walk yeah. in, but this it's language and all these things are rituals. We really have to be intentional about everything we do. And I love that you just shared with that, that with us. And so thank you so much. And I think now we have to take a break mm-hmm. to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Find out why past guests like tender greens and Kava are using play IQ for their accounts, payable automation and expense management solution. Yes, you heard me right. Play IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Play IQ card. With Play IQ card, there is no credit card check, no minimum balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees but cannot get a corporate credit card easily. And I've got to let you know that with Play IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. That's pretty great. 
Now, I've told you what's new with Plate IQ, but you can't forget about all the other features you get with Plate IQ, like bill pay and incredible insights and approval of hierarchies. With bill pay, you can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bill, and this is all happening online, so no more paper checks. Plate IQ bill pay lets you see what's due when, and you can pay by check, ACH, or Plate IQ card. Also, with Plate IQ bill pay, you can say goodbye to escrow. That's right, no more flow. In other words, no money leaves your account until it's received by the vendor. We've got to talk about Plate IQ insights too, because I mean, insights are so important. There's insights to allow you to compare spend by item, vendor, time, period, and location. Man, I love some insights. You can even set alerts. For example, if a price goes outside your agreed contract terms, boom, you get an alert. And then lastly, there's Plate IQ custom approval workflows. Only see the invoices you need to, no more duplications of efforts, and no more hunting down approvers. To learn more, head to www.playiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, save 25% off implementation. We are back and we have still about another seven years to cover but I want to make sure we we leave plenty of time to talk about what you got going now going on now specifically with gleam and coffee bean and tea leaf uh, but reflecting on 2014 to 2017 dime brands which is ihop and Applebee's any big takeaways from that time in your life that are worth mentioning I think the the, the single biggest thing um, of that uh, time at uh, dime brands was um, first of all alignment with leadership is super important it was okay. a it was an interesting time uh, in that organization there was a lot of leadership churn I think where there's leadership churn happening it's very very important to keep resetting on expectations with every new leader so I had for example three new bosses in three years in that organization wow. and for me the important thing was Every time, uh, every new leader will rightfully want to have set new vision, set new strategy. It's so important to just keep saying, hey, here's what I've been working on. Here's why. Talk to me about how this fits in with your vision. Uh, what, do I, what do we need to calibrate? Uh, what, do you, what would you like me to do differently? Uh, so that's super important. So how is this a part of your plan? When you left, uh, I'm having a blank right now, the uh, PepsiCo brands yeah so how applebee's came about for me was i'd spent 20 years with um, yum brands yeah and i started having this itch of i didn't want to retire from yum i felt like there was from my personal growth it was important to go and do something different yeah and at a personal level uh, our daughters were at getting to that high school age and we wanted them to continue their education in the u.s so as a result of which i started seeking opportunities uh, in the restaurant space in the U.S. um, and came across this wonderful company called Dine Brands, which have these two great brands, IHOP and Applebee's. Applebee's is the world's largest casual dining uh, brand, uh, you know, 4.5 billion U.S. in turnover at the time, uh, almost um, 1,800 restaurants across every state in the United States. I loved the fact that it was of the scale that it was, the legacy and history of that brand. 
Um, and the role uh, that was offered to me was the chief um, operations officer role um, in a predominantly franchise environment. So it's very exciting. It allowed us the opportunity to get back into the U.S., uh, except the role was based out of Kansas City. And for, for our family, who've always really been in these very cosmopolitan, large cities, Kansas City was a relatively the smallest city we would have ever lived in. So trying to convince the family to say, we're going to Kansas, why? <laughs> so that was a fun part. But more importantly, I think the, uh, the, the role um, was very exciting for me. And that, I, I felt like it would have taken me along my uh, both career and personal leadership journey. And that's how I landed up at uh, Applebee's. And it sounds like the big lesson during this time was what happens when there is turnover. There is a change in vision and a misalignment in vision. It sounds like I don't want to make it, but it sounds like that's what was going on, which wasn't really resonating with you. I don't want to make assumptions, but. Yeah, I think there was um, change in leadership, like uh, you, you rightly picked up. And each leader was coming in with their own personal so- so everyone's just being pulled in different directions. Correct. Yeah, that's, pulled that's in hard. different directions, yeah. and therefore, even for me, what was important, therefore, is to keep grounding myself. Is am I aligned with my leader? What was your title? Uh, the CEO. Okay. So, am I aligned with my uh, with my um, leader? Was super important because misalignment just causes complete stress uh, and dysfunction in the entire team, right? Especially at senior levels. Like I was a fairly senior executive there. And if you're misaligned with, with my, if I was misaligned with my leader, that would really, uh, so I think that was an important life lesson. Um, and that came out of some degree of misalignment and, rec- and, and then realization that that's why friction was happening. And so I started um, really paying much more purposeful attention to making sure that there was uh, alignment with each, new I love le- that. with each new leader. So very important um, uh, thing there. The second thing I think, that I learned over there was with franchisees and building trust and franchise relationships, it's really important to cut the, the BS and just be absolutely honest and transparent. You, you, you hesitated there. You could have said bullshit if you wanted to. <laughs> I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have reminded. Uh, <laughs> so how do, you, how do you increase transparency and trust? I think just honesty and just helping being very clear about what your personal perspective is on things yeah. and not being seen as someone who is only basically towing the company line right here you know and so that's super important because if you're if you're basically coming across in the way that you communicate as a i'm just here to sell some company direction then i think you just lose credibility instantly but what's important is to say hey here's what the company wants everyone to do Here's why. And by the way, based on my own perception, here's what I think the implications are for you and your business, Mr. or Ms. Franchisee. I love it. Right. Awesome stuff. Uh, okay, so sweet green. I, I don't want to rush through, but yeah. I do want to get to what you got going on now. Yeah. Uh, really well-known brand, great brand, new brand. Um, what, so what brought you here? What, what was the opportunity? Yeah. So three years into Applebee's, um, had this wonderful opportunity to be part of a turnaround story of a great brand like that. But I also realized that it had been, between Pizza Hut and Applebee's, been quite a while that I'd been working on legacy brands. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do, as part of my own personal growth, wanted to w- do something very different. I had not been uh, working in a high-growth environment for quite a while. Why did that appeal to you? Um, growth is a tonic. 
And f- for me, it just energizes me. Did you say it's a tonic? Tonic. What, what is that? I'm not familiar. Uh, by tonic, what I mean is it's like um, a nutritional supplement. Oh, okay. Right? That's the kind of tonic I mean. Energy. Energy. It's exciting. Right? I'm yeah. using a British... Uh, uh, You're making me a, a more intelligent individual. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, growth is energizing. It's uh, exciting. And it gets me uh, certainly pumped up. And everybody. Everyone loves to grow. Everyone loves to win. So, I wanted to be in a high growth environment, but also in a tech forward environment. The yeah. world is changing around us. Sweet Green is a very tech forward brand. So I met these um, three young co-founders. They had a great vision uh, for their brand. They wanted to create the Netflix of food. The vision um, or the mission for Sweet Green was to create better communities or healthier communities by connecting people with real food. And the founders wanted to create the Netflix of food, which really meant that they had this vision of figuring out how to create hyper-personalized digital experiences. So imagine ordering your food off a digital platform, let's say the app. And like Spotify, this app is starting to understand what your likes and dislikes are, is suggesting a playlist of food for you to order. And then at the back end, the restaurant is actually performing part like a restaurant and part like a food production facility. and consumers can access that food through omni channels. So yes, I'm the, so happy this is where you're going because this is the one thing I wrote down is how to build an omni channel food platform. Yeah. So you're I'm going into it. <laughs> I'm getting into it. So um, and that what does omni channel mean? Hey, give the consumer the food they want when they want, where they want it. So if I'm at my gym and I want to, I've just had a great workout and I want to have my salad. I want to be able to have my food. Um, at my sal- at my gym, uh, if I want to have it delivered home or to my office, I- I'd like to have it there. Or if I just want to order ahead and pick it up from the restaurant. But the exciting new channel that we created at S- Sweet Green is called Outpost. And at the time, this was essentially Outpost was a branded shelf that we placed in large offices and institutions. Where all the employees of that office, so let's say you are, you are working for, I'm making this up, the Bank of America building, there's 200 employees there, and by 11 a.m., you all place your order uh, for, your, for lunch, and by 12 noon, your salad is waiting on a sweet green outpost shelf in your office. You don't get charged a delivery fee. You just walk down the corridor, grab your lunch. And uh, and job done. So you're you're streamlining the the process. You're eliminating the hoops people have to jump through to get what they want, and making it easier. You're creating it a win-win situation, right? So it's easier for the consumer because now they don't have to pay delivery fee and all the all the complex charges that they have to pay typically from delivery in the case of Outpost. You're making it easy for the employers because they can just by placing a shelf give access to great quality food to their employees yeah. and the shareholders winning because you get one large order and you know the the economics of that we all know works so much better so everybody wins and by the way there's no capital involved right because you're using your existing capital uh, from existing store locations to supply the demand that you're creating through these outposts you're just creating more points of contact correct so to just give you context we were uh, at the time when we were, let, let's say, roughly a hundred store chain, we had created over a thousand outposts uh, that were being serviced by these 
hundred restaurants. Wow! So that's how much you magnify the impact uh, in terms of accessibility. So, I mean, another thought that's coming to mind, to mind is you're also creating system and automation around catering. Correct. So instead of having to like deal with that every day, you just create the the, the agreement and the and the tools and resources to streamline process to make it to reduce friction to make people order from frictionless experiences yeah. that's the name of the game right yeah. so so i think th- that's the consumer side of it right and then at the back end of it of course you've got to operationalize how to make this work but if i bring it back to why i got to sweet green uh, th- this excitement of being part of creating something or operationalizing a vision that the founders had was super exciting, mm-hmm. right? So they were looking for someone who could help them bring this vision to life, but also someone who understood scale and would be able to help them scale rapidly. So I got really, really excited by the opportunity, and uh, that's how my chapter at uh, uh, Sweet Green began. Yeah, and how did it end? Uh, well, it ended because we had a phenomenal run. We um, doubled our revenues, uh, opened about 30 40% more locations. Like I said, we were able to operationalize a thousand of these outposts and had a phenomenal time. It was also the time that um, COVID uh, started hitting. Yep. And uh, the whole uh, fast casual business that was very urban dependent right um sweet green for, for example as a as a concept is um, very uh, it's highly coastal or was at the time and um, very office goer dependent uh, was was hit pretty badly yeah. right uh, ha- had a tough impact so you, when you have a thousand outposts yeah. and that's making up a big part of your revenue and all those outposts disappear overnight that's that's tough right <laughs> yeah, so i can understand so at this stage i i recognize that um I wanted to do, and it was time for me to move on to do something different. Yeah. And I had always, always been very passionate about leadership development. And I thought, this might be the time to, for me to give back. So I put a LinkedIn post out there in March of 2020. Wait, March of 2020? March yeah. of 2020, okay. just, just over a year ago. And I said, look, I am looking to create a nonprofit. Uh, I shared that post today. <laughs> Did you? <Yeah. laughs> I'm looking to create a nonprofit volunteer-based organization of people who are deeply passionate about giving back uh, and serving as mentors, but purely for the restaurant and food service industry. Uh, is anyone, you know, if, if, any, if this idea resonates with anyone, reach out. I, I um, filled out the form. Wow. <laughs> Love it. I don't know if Love I qualify. <laughs> Eric, you are highly qualified. Love it. Uh, I'm so grateful. So that post got 35,000 views. And I'm not a social media celebrity that gets those kind of... So clearly at the time, this idea was right. There was a lot of people in the industry wanting to give back. And I was overwhelmed by the amount of responses. Yeah. So I start calling up uh, 10 people a day. And speaking to them and saying, hey, if we had to give back, what would you do? And that's how this whole chapter of Gleam Network started. Mm. What's that Gleam stand for? Gleam stands for Global Leadership Enhancement and Mentorship Network. You love acronyms, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) I think acronyms... uh, They're great tools. Yeah, they're great tools. being a commercial pilot, I don't know what I would have done without acronyms. I remember them to this day. <laughs> tomato flames, flaps. Like these are all tools you use. <laughs> tomato to flames. Yeah, I mean, I could probably go through a transponder, uh, 
Oh, wait, James Bond. Maybe I can't do it. To altimeter, uh, manifold. I could go through it if I needed to. <laughs> but they're just like thing, like regulations, yeah. things you need to be certified, yeah. to be within regulation. Um, but, I mean, that message really resonated with me because what the message you delivered that, we, that there's a lot wrong with this industry in the sense that we are the second largest industry in the world. We employ the second largest amount, only behind healthcare. And there's just a lot of inequality. There's a lot of wrong with our industry, the, the distribution of wealth, everything. And if we're going to change that, we need to empower people. We need to educate people. And we need to, it's, if it's going to change, change doesn't happen from the outside in. It happens from the inside out. Exactly. And we need to come together. We need to share knowledge. And we need to stop looking at people as competitors and looking at people as our, co- like our, our colleagues. And we're in this together. And the thing is, I full-heartedly believe this. If we change the restaurant industry, we change the world. Because we have so much influence. We feed people. This is our livelihood. This is not only that. The, so much of the world commerce is centered around food, moving food around. So if we can educate our employees, our employees will educate consumers. They are consumers. They will make conscious decisions, and the world will change overnight. That's pretty profound. Right? That is very deep and profound. And, and uh, it, it's resonating with me because, look... The world is changing around us, but the one thing that doesn't change is people need to eat food. Yeah. And they need human connection. Yeah. And restaurants is this wonderful mix of the two, right? Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. And so what I had found, of course, from my own life experience was a couple of things. One is leadership is not an accident. You need to create an ecosystem that helps people develop. Mm. Two, that ecosystem is very hard to create. And a lot of restaurant companies... Um, are unable to create that or unable to afford that and therefore structured development is unfortunately in the restaurant industry access accessible to very few people say that one more time I want to make sure I understand so two things are important one is leadership development is not an accident okay it to develop leadership you need an ecosystem it needs to be intentional it needs to be intentional right and by ecosystem I need I mean things like we talked about the environment, the environment, the tools, the resources, the culture, mentoring programs, the whole thing, right? Got it. Now, that ecosystem, unfortunately, is not prevalent in the restaurant industry. It's not as intentional, sometimes because people don't think about it, because they are so focused on skill-based training, they don't focus as much on leadership development, or they can't afford to do it. As a result, what I found was when I had colleagues coming in from FMCG companies, you know, whether they were working for PNG or Kraft General Foods or what have you, right? They came from this tremendous foundational development of their leadership and they would do exceedingly well in our, in our environments. But people who were growing up in our industry were just not getting that same degree of development. Mm. So for me, what was really important was how do we democratize that? Because we've got such great talent in the industry. We only have to find a way of unleashing that talent. And people want to help each other in this industry. What's interesting, I feel like other industries like healthcare, for example, very technical, right? Very technical. But here's the thing that's happening right now. Technical jobs are going away because technology is better at technical. However, the other side of the brain human intelligence or social intelligence, emotional intelligence, that's where technology is struggling. 
And that's where the strengths are. So there's a shift going right now to social and emotional intelligence because we're losing that as we scale, as society evolves, and people are hungry for it. So I think there's going to be a shift because, I, I mean, I, th- I think, I don't know, would you, are you picking up, do you disagree or agree with what I'm no, saying? I, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, technology is replacing uh, so many tasks. Like and- you said, people need to eat and they, yeah. need to, they need a place to feel seen and welcomed and loved. We need that. And the best place to go is in a restaurant right now or being a part of some type of community or maybe the gym is the other place you go, right? Yeah. Where you have that camaraderie, but it's absolutely restaurants are a part of that equation. Exactly right. So that's the idea of democratizing leadership development and providing those resources that help soft skill leadership development, right? Uh, To everybody who desires to invest in themselves and grow that works in the restaurant industry, was something very dear to me, and that's what led to the formation of Gleam Network. Yeah. So, uh, if we're interested in this, what's I mean, there's going to be calls to action at the end, but where do we go to learn more? Right. So, first of all, let me just encapsulate what is Gleam Network. Yeah, right. Please. So, Gleam Network is essentially a volunteer-based nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide structured leadership development and mentorship to the underserved community within restaurants and food service. We do this through two programs at the moment. One is through a one-on-one mentoring program. Which I signed up for. Which you signed (laughs) up for. And and that is accessible to anybody in the food service or restaurant industry. Um, It's entirely... uh, We have access to a tremendous wealth of mentors who are volunteers and at a very nominal sort of administrative fee... You can sign up as a mentee and access uh, the program. It's a six-month program with a one-hour commitment per month. So it's not onerous. The second program we've got is called Learning Circles. Learning Circles is an intimate, small-format learning environment. Think of it as 10, 10 to 12 people on a Zoom call having a fire chat conversation for an hour on a topic that's highly relevant uh, that you sign up for. And the third program is under development and will be piloted here in a few weeks. It's called the CAP or the Career Advancement Program. And that is specifically set up for hourly team members. But women and people of color who struggle to make it from hourly team members' roles to management roles. So this program is an eight-week boot camp for those team members that are struggling to even get on the radar of their supervisor to be considered for supervisory and management roles. So we help them with mindset training, with leadership development, with influencing skills, with financial literacy on how do you even get to the point where your employer says, I see potential in you. I'm going to start developing you as a supervisor. Yeah. So those are the three programs. And if you're interested in any of them to volunteer for us or to sign up and benefit from them, go to gleamnetwork.net. I repeat, gleamnetwork.net and our website will um, help you along. Beautiful. So we still have one more uh, stop on your journey to mm-hmm. discuss. And that's your most recent role with uh, the coffee bean and tea leaf, which you started like real recently. Uh, so w- how did this opportunity come across your plate? So um, I was tapped by a recruiter uh, for a role with the coffee bean and tea leaf, which is a Southern California uh, based uh, coffee and specialty coffee and tea brand that has been around since 1963. In wow. fact, before the likes of uh, Starbucks 
um, showed up. So tremendous legacy uh, of this brand. It's got 1,100 cafes around the world, uh, about 200 plus in the United States. And so my role is the um, President Americas and India for Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. I've always been a big fan of the coffee space, Eric. It's just uh, something that always intrigued me. Um, loved uh, Howard Schultz uh, is somebody that I've looked up to uh, and his story. Mm-hmm. And so when someone brought this opportunity for a brand that has phenomenal cachet, but has been underinvested in and a lot of growth potential, that got me super excited. Mm. Uh, and that's what led me to joining Coffee Bean. So how has it been? Uh, like, like you've explained with the other journeys. I mean, I know it's been a short, a short journey, but what were your initial challenges? Yeah, so this is, I have been with them uh, just for about four months. And the challenge at Coffee Bean was um, two or threefold, right? Coming out of the pandemic, how do you, first of all, make sure that the brand shifts from surviving to thriving, right? Um, So many different concepts got beaten up during this time. First thing was, how do we make sure that we're kind of shifting gears now um, to make sure that we were thriving? Secondly, how do we, what are we going to differentiate this brand on? What's going to be special about it? Why should consumers think of Coffee Bean and, and come to us? We have phenomenal quality of our coffees and our teas are just exceptional, but we haven't told our story perhaps as well as we should have. So I've been working on that. And the third thing is that in the world of digital and technology, we've just not invested uh, as much as we should have. So I took... Um, disproportionate effort very early in in my tenure here to start reducing friction in the consumer experience and solving for uh, digital experiences at Coffee Bean. Yeah. And what were some of the biggest changes you made in making the shift from Survive to Thrive, specifically around evolutionary, like, technological, like, I guess, adaptions or... I can't even think right now. I don't know what I'm trying to say. But like what, what tools and technologies and how have you evolved the, 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 yeah. the restaurant? So the first thing, it all starts with people, right? And instilling the belief that we're going to win and we're going to do really well. So uh, sharing that vision. So sharing the vision, right? But, sh- but sharing it in a way that I think an important word for me is co-creating. So we got everybody together. Uh, through Zoom because we were still at that time not uh, four months ago able to collaborate in person and and spent two days just sculpting our vision together and laying out a very crystal clear roadmap for and I don't I mean I hate to interrupt but I hate to interrupt that word together is so important and I think that so many times restaurateurs feel like they have to do it all on their own they have to like but when you let other people be a part of the vision what happens it unleashes excitement, ownership. People have uh, are committed to it, and there's zero skepticism. It goes from your vision to, to our vision. Our vision, right? Yeah. So that was super important. We did that, and we had a clear roadmap from there and a clear strategy. The second thing which we did almost instantly was um, start getting, growing the number of aggregators that we were offering delivery through improving functionality on our app, tightening up in-store procedures that help all the off-premise business. And we got instant responses to that. The third thing we did was we were blessed to have a significant amount of our estate have drive-through locations. And drive-throughs were doing exceedingly well at this point in time thanks to the consumer behavior. Yeah. And so just focusing on the drive-through channel execution, right? 
And fourth thing was that because of off-premise consumption, the food component of the coffee business had actually increased. As people are grabbing and go through the drive-through or ordering food home, there were more people at home, yeah. more people working at home or studying from home or what have you. So the check size had gone up and people wanting more food from us. Yeah. So focused on upgrading our food and broadening the food that we offered. So those were some of the very simple, early tactical things that we did to instantly start giving uh, impact on what we were doing. I love that. And I have to admit, in this moment, during this interview, I just had an aha moment. because So I just started, I mentioned earlier, reading the book Atomic Habits. And one of the things mm-hmm. I'm doing, the habits I want to create, is I want to journal every morning after I exercise and meditate. I want to journal. Mm-hmm. And then I want to write professionally, which means writing towards like a professional element, whether right. it's a vision, a business plan, uh, an essay, or whatever. I just want to start writing. Uh, first, I'm working, my writing is going towards working on the business, and then I want to work, you know, kind of like using my writing to use it for, I don't know, I don't need to get into the details <laughs> of that, but what I'm struggling with right now is uh, the idea of visioning, because I'm visioning by myself right now, right. because it's just me and one other person. I got to give a nod to Jared, but Jared's not really into the whole visioning thing. He's more of a technician. He likes to edit and do stuff like that. How do you vision when you don't have a team? And the thought I had was invite my network, the people my my the people I I value, the people who are part of what I'm trying to create, create the users, the end users, and how do I invite them to be a part of the future of Restaurant Unstoppable to help me brainstorm? What do they want? What are your thoughts on what I just shared? What a powerful idea, um, uh, Eric. I think first of all, you're not alone because yeah. there's there's so many of us who find ourselves in roles where you're relatively. Um, you think you might be doing the role without a large team. So I think to, uh, here's what I've learned about trying to deal with those situations, right? One is how do you bring your consumers, right, into that and, co- and construct what I would call a personal board of directors. So who yes. is your personal board of directors? That was what the, the words I was searching for. Yes, yes. Your I personal board of directors, right? And that could be some committed um, listeners or followers, right, who would be uh, willing to give you some tough love and call it like it is. Um, that's one. I think secondly, mentors that um, that you respect and care about who would be willing to invest in you, right? Yeah. Who are those people? And, uh, you know, you had a team of, team of one. You definitely want to make sure your team of one is with you, right? Yeah. So I think constructing uh, a personal board of directors is so important and being um, purposeful about that. But also... Listening to other for, for me, I I have actually um, I listen to your podcast. I, I listen to a podcast by David Novak. Uh, I you've listened to my podcast I, I, in the I, past. I have listened to your podcast. So you in know, the past. I told you before we hit record. I'm yeah. been uh, pleasantly surprised. You asked me who listens to the podcast, yeah. and I was like, "This is who I thought was listening." But whenever I hear people like yourself listening yeah. to the podcast, it blows me away. That's the ultimate compliment. Thank I, you. Yeah. My, I have listened listened to your podcast, and for me, it was very simple. I learned from podcasts, so I went and searched podcasts for the restaurant industry, and your podcast features pretty high up there. Yeah, right? I did that tool like eight years ago, and I couldn't find anything. So that's why <laughs> the podcast exists. So uh, your podcast features fairly high up there. So I think w- what are your sources of outside perspective is important, and that can come from a personal board of directors. For me. I, you know, I find listening to podcasts a great source of that. 
Uh, I find coming to events like we're sitting at today at the Texas Restaurant Association Marketplace event, um, you know, just getting perspective. Yeah, I love that. Great stuff. Uh, I love today's conversation. Uh, we have, I want to respect your time. We had about 10 minutes left together. Uh, before we go to the speed round, uh, this is something I ask all my guests. How have you transformed? The mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. And this is me right now mm-hmm. using language and ritual to yeah. reinforce the mission. <laughs> I have learned some things in the days. Uh, so how have you transformed? Who are you today versus the man you were in 1995 getting into this, in, in, into this industry? I... What's fundamentally shifted for me is that I feel like my legacy is going to live on in the impact that I'm having on people around me. Mm. And how I'll be remembered will be for the way I'm making people feel around me. I love that. And how I'm investing in them. They will not remember what my same store sales growth was or what my EBITDA was or any of that stuff, right? You're going to love my last question. (laughs) You really are. So... Uh, I think with that lens, uh, at the stage of life I'm at, I am just here to just, you know, obviously I love problem solving and winning and uh, all that's important. Yeah. But how I do that has fundamentally shifted and I do that in a much more vulnerable way, uh, not beating my chest, not pr- trying to prove to anybody how good I am or what I'm capable of. Doing that with vul- vulnerability, humility. And the intent. It takes bravery to be vulnerable. And, and the intent to serve. And I'm not saying I'm the finished article, but it's, I'm certainly in that place now. Yeah. Secondly, like I'm just much sharper at uh, having the tools and resources available to me in terms of thinking and strategy and, and, and uh, solving business problems. So I, I just have a blast yeah. doing it. So this is a question I've been thinking about working in, making it regularly. So how have you transformed? Uh, because my mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry, how do you think the industry needs to transform? How do we need to be different? I think first off, the industry needs to be thinking ahead um, always and looking around the corner. You just, a, you just hit a chord with me. Keep going. Sorry. Okay. And why I'm saying this is because I think a vast majority of our industry got their head slapped with, with the pandemic. And all of a sudden, now everyone's onto their digital platforms and off-premise and frictionless experiences and all the rest of it, right? And this, we've seen this coming a long time. I, I, my self-criticism as a member of this industry is... I don't think we should have waited for as long as we did to make that pivot, right? Second thing, if we were to now look at, for example, how consumers are shifting behaviors in terms of eating behaviors, right? Plant-based food, right? More nutrition consciousness, right? More consciousness of where my food came from. That's staring us in the face. And if we're not going to embrace that, you know, those are the sorts of things that I'd love for the industry yeah. to be looking forward. Yeah, and the chord you hit with me, I can't remember the exact words you, you use, but I remember, I know the feeling. Something I say all the time. Um, do you remember the words you used? What the first thing you said when I said you struck a chord with me? Um, so just, this is why I take notes because I can't remember the details. <laughs> but the, the, the chord I you struck with me one. is we, this is a very reactive yes. industry. Proactive. And we need to start being proactive. And I think there, I think we can look at all the issues that are wrong with this industry and it's because we reacted ourselves into the corner and we react to the market we react to the consumer and the consumer doesn't know what the frigate wants and let me give you an example pretend your child is a consumer and your child is making a bunch of noise and you put your kid in front of the cartoons to shut your kid up are you are you serving your child in that moment are you providing value to your child yeah they're happy 
but are you serving them? And I think we can provide value by serving people and not necessarily giving them what they want because they don't know what they want. I think we, we have this level of consciousness now that we've never achieved. And we need to stop being reactive. We need to start telling the consumer what they need. Amen. Right? Well said. Amen. Absolutely. I think that's um, just such an important thing, right? And I, the, the other piece which I uh, would love to see the industry doing is helping each other out, right? This industry has a big heart. It's a large industry, but it's actually a very small place. Everybody knows everyone. I think the more we could be doing to invest in talent and pay it forward and help each other out, I think the better off we'll be. Yeah, awesome. Okay, one more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be back for a true speed round. What is one of the most overlooked and important marketing tools out there? It's your menu. And honestly, I cannot blame owners for overlooking their menu. It can be super tedious and boring work, let's be honest. Not to mention it's time consuming between all the other channels of marketing, i.e. social media, direct mail marketing, and managing your operations and customer relations. Who has the time to dink around with their menu? Not many people, right? So that's why I'm super excited to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. From the website to the marketing to the contactless ordering, Pop Menu is the full digital solution for your restaurant. Pop Menu also provides a dynamic mobile-friendly menu that hooks your customers from the start. And this is a really cool tool. Diners have the ability to leave dish reviews, which really helps your menu speak for itself. Beyond these engaging features, Pop Menu provides marketing tools to build long lasting relationships with your guests. For example, you have the power to send automated texts and emails to incentivize new orders or promote new dishes. You can even set up online ordering and delivery direct through Pop Menu. This means less ordering complications and loss commission to third-party apps. We all love that. Frankly speaking, when Pop Menu reached out to me to be a sponsor, I didn't know much about them. We all know my rules that I only promote the tools and services that are recommended on the show. So I had to reach out to my network to get their approval. And I have to tell you, the feedback has been nothing but positive. People really like the menu review feature, the email marketing integration, and the fast and friendly customer support, which cannot be overlooked. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month, plus you can lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more, all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system to 
you're already using, like Toast, to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. We are back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Balance. What is your biggest uh, weakness? Ideation. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team interviewing? Humility. What is your biggest challenge today? Reinvention. How are you dealing with it? One word. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Innovatively. Okay. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. And you can do a sentence too. Integrity. Okay. (laughs) Do what what you say and say what you do. Share uh, one uncommon standard of service you teach your team which is basically something that's common within the four walls of your business to go above and beyond and serving the guests, but not common throughout the industry. Uh, we will do any degree of customization for our beverages that any customer would like. Like nothing is too much trouble. There's nothing out of policy. If you want any kind of modification, whatever you want uh, at Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, we will make the perfect blend for you. What is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or a better restaurant owner? Oh, my favorite book um, that I read not that long ago is Radical Candor by Kim Scott. What's the biggest lesson from that book? The biggest lesson for the book is to care deeply about people and then be very direct and honest in feedback. I love that. And uh, we have started a book club at Restaurant Stoppable, and it's unlike any other book club I've known of. Like, Generally, I think book clubs like meet once, they discuss the book, and it's on to the next book. We're doing one book a quarter. And the purpose of the book club isn't to read the book. It's about executing the lessons in the book in our business. Uh, and we're going to read the book. We're going to meet. We're going to talk about what our goal is. We're going to meet a, a, th- a second time. How did we do? We're going to meet a third time. And we're going to try to really help. So in the first book we're reading is Atomic Habits. If you guys have read that book and you want to join us for the second meeting, there's still plenty of time. It's on Audible. Head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. If you use that link, you're supporting the show. Thank you in advance. The next question I have for you is name one service you've hired or outsourced. So this isn't necessarily a technology. It's a group of people or a person that does something better than you could ever do yourself or in-house. We've hired Hathaway to build our app for us. And they're doing exceptional. What's that called? Hathaway. Hathaway. Can you spell that? H-A-T-H-A-W-A-Y. Thank you. What is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Restaurant don't, uh, uh, don't often look at their uh, competitors uh, and see what's happening. Um, they, they tend to be much more inward looking, so I'd love to see just that muscle built much more. Mm-hmm. And what is one piece of technology you've recently developed or you know adopted in your business aside from the app that has had a huge back a huge impact on communication efficiency anything along those lines i'm trying to think of what we might have done uh recently inside our restaurants um 
I think it wasn't a specific piece of technology that we have uh, deployed already, but we are um, testing. We've just upgraded all our ovens. Is that the kind of technology yeah, you're talking technology. about? Yeah, technology. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just upgrading our ovens. We are... Um, what are you upgrading to? We're upgrading to... Uh, actually, we're testing... Uh, some Merry Chef ovens. Okay. These are, um, we have microwaves in, in some of our stores at the moment, which um, w- which are not the best f- for the quality of food we want to serve. So we're upgrading to Merry Chef. I feel like uh, a Turbo Chef combination, uh, t- t- microwave, t- microwave convection. yeah, convection uh, combination. So we're testing uh, Turbo Chef and Merry Chef ovens uh, at the moment as we speak. What was that? Turbo Chef, what was the other one? Can you say it one more time? Merry Chef. Merry Chef, like being merry. Merry, being merry. And it's one brand. And then Turbo Chef's another brand, but they essentially make similar kind of ovens. Beautiful. Thank you. And this is the last question. It's a doozy. This is the question that I thought that you would really enjoy based <laughs> off of your last answer during the free-flowing portion of our conversation if you got the news you'd be leaving this world tomorrow all the memories of you you're working your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy what would those three pieces of wisdom be and the reason why i thought you'd like this because you said you wanted to leave a legacy absolutely oh boy that's (laughs) that's very deep um so i think from a just do i i would love to be telling myself right the, the message that I started with the words that I started which is always focus on the way you want to make people feel that's mm-hmm. so important the second um, piece of advice I'd give is very early in your career get yourself a mentor get yourself an advocate and get yourself a sponsor and very quickly a mentor is someone who can teach you things a, a sponsor is someone who can make things happen for you and an advocate is something somebody who will say good things about you in the room when you're not there. I love that. That's amazing. Uh, was that just one or is that three? That's, that's three. Pro- that's probably three. Okay, well, uh, that was a great answer. I just wanted to make sure I understood it correctly, but that awesome stuff. I love today's conversation. Uh, we wrap up every uh, chat by calling somebody out. Uh, Anna Tazen helped me connect with you. She's a past guest. I respect her a lot. Who do you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest on the show like us? Yeah. I respect and admire a gentleman called Niren Chowdhury. Yeah. Uh, Niren is now the CEO of Panera Bread. Uh, he is a mentor of mine and uh, somebody that I have known and admired for a long, long time. I think he'd make uh, an exceptional guest, but also, more importantly, just a wonderful human being and a great leader. I would love to get him on the show. Thank you for calling him out. And how can we connect with you if we want to maybe learn more about what you're doing with Gleam, if we want to come work for you, uh, if we have questions? What, how, what's the best way to connect? Uh, best way to connect with me is either through my LinkedIn. Uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn, so go look for me, Sanjeev Razdan. Uh, there are not many by that name, yeah. so you're going to find me. And... Um, GleamNetwork.net Either of those two forums uh, You'd be able to get a hold of me Sanjeev, thank you so much I've enjoyed this conversation incredibly There is no questioning, my man You are unstoppable Thank you for having me Cheers, thank you for joining us There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to today's guest, Sanjeev Razin, and also special thanks again to the Texas Restaurant Association uh, for hosting us and giving us our own stage to record on. And I don't know if you guys are aware, the Texas Restaurant Association is the second largest restaurant association in the nation. So 
they put on a really great trade show. If you're a trade show hunter, this is one that you want to put on your list for 2022. I'm telling you, you will not regret it. And um, just again, I can't say thank you enough for the support of uh, the TRA. And man, lots of great things came from today's conversation. Really great advice on leadership and just growth. Uh, But one of the things I'm really excited about and proud of, honestly, is that when I first started this podcast, I was very close towards speaking to corporate individuals. I've since opened up my mind. I think that there's a lot we can learn from these individuals. It's not easy to climb those corporate ladders. Maybe they're, they took a different path to get to where they are today, but we can learn a lot from these entrepreneurs. And uh, frankly, I think that if we're going to change, we're going to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. We have to encourage people to be more open-minded. I think one of the other really inspiring things that came from today's chat is that even Sanjeev has said that, you know, the, the industry is changing. Back when I got started, we we're very bottom line focused. I think we're starting to realize we need to lean into human behavior, lean into uh, the, the natural order. Like we're not going to change. Like if we're going to be happy, we can't force people into, you know, we can't force round pegs into square holes. We need to figure out how humans exist. The, the, the best way and go with the grain. And I think that he's starting to realize that and these corporations are starting to realize that. I think a lot of positive change is coming and I'm really excited for the future. I think that kind of came out of today's chat. Uh, I don't know what you guys think, but that's what I think. So uh, some cool things happening in the network on Monday at 10 a.m. when this episode goes live. If you listen early on, you still have time to come join us for part three of the, bi- the business planning workshops with Stephanie Robson. We're going to be covering capital budget. The right on the heels of that, we're talking to Matt Plap. We're going to be talking about attracting, building, and retaining customers in the network. Uh, that is on Monday, the 23rd of August. And then we have some other really great workshops coming down the barrel. You got to be in the network. Come hang out with us. We'll see you there. Oh, and if you liked today's episode, Sanjeev is planning on joining us in the network to reflect on this episode and to answer your questions. So until next time, peace out.